0: Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, a show dedicated to our shared surroundings with industry heavyweights that are dedicated to designing, developing, manufacturing, and disrupting the status quo in order to make all our spaces cleaner and safer for everyone.
1: Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, everyone. I'm Gary Moody, the host. My guest today is Mike Olson with Sterile Ray in New Hampshire. Hey, Mike, great great to have you on the indoor air pod. I really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you for having me on, Gary.
1: Appreciate it. Before we start talking about your role with Sterile Ray and what Sterile Ray does, why don't you share a little bit of your career path?
0: Uh, well, I uh, I actually am from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I, uh, I grew up there and I went to school at the University of Michigan and at the time I was in school, I uh, I worked in my father's laboratory. He was a professor of microbiology, and that was my first exposure to microbiology and, and all things, things, pathogens, I guess. And I wondered at the time when I was that young, what the heck am I doing working in, in this field? Because I really did not enjoy it. And uh, it's funny how life comes full circle sometimes, and so I ended up... Uh, many decades later back in the field and applying the microbiology and, and some of the things that I learned back then um, to my current job, actually. Um, but when I graduated, I ended up moving out to New Hampshire to begin work in the healthcare information technology uh, field. I spent about 18 years in that field working for companies such as Siemens and Perot Systems. And at the end of that tenure, um, 9-11 happened. I happened to be Uh, working in New York City. My office was in World Trade Center, too, and I was fortunate not to be there that day, Um, but it was a wake-up call for me to really take a look at things, and I was spending a lot of time on the road, and I thought, you know, I think I want to do something that I want to do as opposed to being away from my family all the time, so I ended up getting into the golf industry, and I, I ran and started two separate golf technology companies, and that lasted about 12 years. Really had a nice run. It was a lot of fun. Didn't make a whole lot of money, but really had a good time in the golf industry. And then I was asked um, uh, by my current partners here at Story to come and write a business plan for them. They had developed this wonderful technology using far UV, and they had asked me to write a business plan uh, that would allow them to bring it to market, and this is back in the early 2000s. And so I wrote a business plan. I was uh, enamored with the technology, having come from healthcare, and realizing the potential for you know, mitigating or helping with infection control in the healthcare environment and thought for sure this is a no-brainer that would take off, that hospitals would be incented to basically reduce hospital-acquired infections and all sorts of things. And lo and behold, because of the reimbursement system in the United States in terms of how uh, hospitals were being reimbursed for readmissions, uh, infection control really wasn't that important. And there were financial disincentives actually uh, for hospitals not to pay a lot of attention to it. And uh, so we couldn't raise the money at the time, but I stayed close uh, with Ed and John, and um, and as the pandemic kind of presented itself in January of 2020, uh, they asked me to come back and kind of finish the job in terms of getting this technology out to the market. And in the meantime, they had done a nice job applying the technology in many different ways in agriculture, in indoor commercial spaces, uh, winemaking, all sorts of different applications, Um, but we thought for sure that the federal government was going to come and take our company over much like a manhattan project because we we felt that this was a technology that could actually protect people and keep people safe well the federal government elected go in a different direction uh they were not paying a whole lot of attention to indoor air quality but they were paying a lot of attention to vaccines and other pharmaceutical interventions so um we uh we had tremendous growth early on in fact uh, our website went from about two or three inquiries per month to 10,000 inquiries in the first 90 days of the pandemic wow. because pe- people were researching different technologies that could avail itself to uh, getting rid of the coronavirus and keep in mind at the time everyone thought uh, coronavirus was transmitted via surface transmission there, there was no in acknowledgement that, that it, in fact it was airborne so and you you you
1: actually got involved with sterile ray right when there was an enormous amount of confusion in the early days of covid
0: that's correct, and yeah, of, uh,
1: yeah, and you and I, we both know that uh, uh, you know there's continues to be confusion, and it's really interesting that you would share that. Now, regarding sterile array, ray, it's exclusively UV
0: tech. Yes, so we uh, what we do at our core business is we manufacture a certain type of lamp called an eczema lamp, and the eczema lamp is special and it's unique in that. It's the only type of lamp that can produce wavelengths of light in a certain range and that's known as far uv and that typically is a range of 180 nanometers to about 240 nanometers within the uvc spectrum so if you look at the spectrum of light far uv tends to be on the lower end of uvc whereas traditional uvc lamps which have been used for years in different applications uh, fall higher in the spectrum, and they're really known as traditional or germicidal UV. But far UV is a, uh, a late bloomer, if you will, in terms of its notoriety, even though we've been making these lamps since 2005. Uh, again, people weren't concerned with indoor air quality, and so they were not applying the technology as it could be applied. You bet. Regarding your target markets, the the obvious
1: markets are, are healthcare, hospitals, nursing homes. What about schools and, and the workplace? Uh, there, it seems like there's a lot of potential long term target markets other than healthcare, which is a big one. But you and I both know hotels, for example. I mean, uh, they're not hotels aren't really known to have
0: really good IAQ. No, I, I would say that we've identified 30 different use cases for our technology and all the use cases that relate to indoor air quality are lumped into a single category. So there's a ton of application of this technology for anything that needs to be disinfected, whether it be, like I said, a wine cask or agriculture or anything that needs to be disinfected is a candidate because our technology deactivates pathogens, plain and simple, whether they be viruses, bacteria, prions, mold, fungus, uh, we get rid of it with this technology. So at the core of what we do is we make these lamps and then we put these lamps in different housings for different applications. Now, obviously with COVID, Everyone was concerned about indoor air, and, and once it became known that it was aerosolized, even more so. So we have a number of different housings uh, that each have a lamp in them, but they can be used and applied in different ways. So they can be applied for surface disinfection, air okay. disinfection, HVAC uh, disinfection, and coil cleaning. Um, and again, if you were to go to our website, sterilray.com, you would see these different um, applications and the housings that they represent. Okay. How, uh, do you work uh,
1: with HVAC contractors, with engineers, uh, architects, or do you
0: sell direct to end users? How, how do you go to market? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, our distribution channels vary. Uh, we do work with contractors. Uh, they generally are what we would call resellers. Uh, we do direct to consumer as well, which is becoming increasingly important as Uh, there's been less attention paid to uh, the coronavirus. Consumers are waking up and saying, I have to take care of this myself. So we're doing a lot more D to C right now. Um, We do have uh, distributors in place. We have two licensees of our technology where we simply license um, the access to our patents, but also the trade secrets associated with making our lamps. Um, So, yes, we do have a very distribution channel and and kind of go-to-market strategy. Sometimes it gets a little confusing, but um, we haven't really run into a situation yet where they're tripping on each other. Uh, so it's it's it, we've been fortunate in that regard. Okay. What do you think, uh, if somebody were to
1: ask you, where do you think the IEQ industry will be as a whole in five years
0: from now, Mike? Well, it certainly needs to be more regulated. Uh, you know, we had the uh, EPA come into existence under Nixon, and we had the Clean Air Act, and we had the you know, Clean Water Act, and we never had an Indoor Air Quality Act Uh, So something along those lines has to be led by the federal government. There's no question about it. And then um, as as that becomes more apparent in terms of what those regulations look like, you're going to find states and municipalities, uh, local districts taking on their own zoning and building codes. So I think you'll see an evolution of, um, you know, the the range of building codes come into existence. There'll be standards just there are now for, you know, electric and HVAC and so forth. Um, but it's it's going to become very apparent and especially to commercial uh, real estate firms that are going to be left really holding the bag without any tenants, uh, they have to do they have to do something. Yeah, it's
1: really sad. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, there's over 300,000 businesses in America that lease commercial space. And I, I think it's roughly 40 percent of that that figure is office space and the, the industry has been hit really, really hard. Is that going to be a potential market for you, you
0: think? Oh, it already is, frankly. But um, what's happened is as the media has paid less attention to COVID and the problems that are associated with it, and COVID is, is going strong as ever right now, and then combine that with RSV and the influenza, it's, it's really problematic. Um, but the media is not giving it the attention it deserves. And so your facilities managers and those responsible for those real estate um, buildings are paying less attention to it as a result. And and that's really an issue. And I, I think um, I, what's interesting is I think this could come about in a slightly backwards direction. You cannot see COVID. In fact, you can't see COVID being deactivated. You can only really monitor, if you will, the health of the people that are in those spaces. And that's all you can really, that's how you can quantify it. Um, you know, we what? have wastewater yeah go that least that leads
1: me to a question uh what do you think about the
0: future long term of indoor air quality monitoring in buildings i i think it's a necessity i think it's actually here now i think one of the things that's bringing it on is the prevalence of mold in buildings especially yeah. older buildings and mold is something you can see mold is something that you can you know go home at night and say i'm not feeling good because i know there's mold in my building so we're doing a lot of mold mitigation strategy right now in terms of taking our technology and applying it to getting rid of mold spores. Um, And then obviously, you know, mold has to be treated in other ways as well, but you've got all these old buildings that are just, especially in the Southeast, and you know, the more humid areas of the country, it's a real problem. And uh, and I think we'll get to the regulations and the zoning associated with what's required for infectious diseases, uh, perhaps through mold mitigation. You bet. You, you had touched on a point uh, shortly ago,
1: um, you know, based on my knowledge, there's an unprecedented amount of environmental news that's reported in the mainstream news. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the U.S. It's, it's worldwide, but it's all about the outdoor environment, mm-hmm. you know, climate change, uh, decarbonization, mm-hmm. solar, wind, all that good stuff. And based on my observation, uh, IAQ news essentially does not exist Agreed. in the mainstream media, but there's an enormous amount of uh, information, but people have to know how to search, which I do. Did you, did you by chance, uh, two weeks ago, approximately, I think it was October 29th, did you see CBS 60 Minutes? I did. Segment?
0: Okay. I did. What, what were your thoughts on indoor air quality? Well... It's interesting. I, I that Is that Joe Allen? I want to say was a, was a guest, yes. and uh, he he did a wonderful job, kind of explaining why we have to pay attention to air quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really only touched on partial solutions to improving air quality. And and frankly, I, I think the same thing with the new Ashray Initiative 241. I, I think it's it's a wonderful document. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of work. Uh, The gentlemen that were in the folks that were involved in developing it did a a fantastic job with what they had to do, but they're mechanical ventilation folks and what they left out is how do you solve the problem of near field transmission? And when I say near field, I mean, you know, within 20, 30 feet of somebody, everything in 241, everything that Joe spoke about, those are solutions that can address far field, but none of that touched on near field, which is a real problem. And the reason it's a problem is that if you have a classroom and you have a sick kid walking into that classroom and all he has to do is breathe, let alone cough or sneeze. If he's breathing, anybody within 12, 15 feet of him is susceptible to getting sick.
1: You, you you don't. Have,
0: you don't have the luxury of an air exchange to prevent that from happening. You need a technology that actually operates and deactivates at the speed of light. And that's where UV comes in. Because our technology is the only technology that can deactivate pathogens safely and effectively, literally at the speed of light, with people present. Every other technology, every other technology requires an air exchange. We do not. okay. what What are your thoughts about induct air purifiers? Uh,
1: there's a lot of there. and as we both know, wherever there's a central HVAC system in theory, you yeah. it's a candidate to have a a local contractor install an induct
0: air purifier. Are they in, indirectly competitors of yours? N- not actually. Um, they We actually produce several different types of induct lamps uh, okay. for the purpose of deactivating pathogens in the airflow. Uh, but again, the problem is it's dependent upon an air exchange. So if you're exchanging the air, even at a really nice rate at say, three or four exchanges per hour, um, and somebody's sick in that room and they're coughing or sneezing or singing or whatever, the church, they're not going to be protected. Those induct systems do not protect people. Sure, over time they can get rid of bacteria, they can get rid of even the viruses, but um, but that doesn't solve the problem of a sick person in a room. That's I, I of- appreciate. Yeah, I, I appreciate this. Uh, yeah. it, I think it's fair to say. I think I would
1: believe that you would agree that there's a lot more known now about IAQ yeah. than there was back in say the early 2000s or 1990s. Um, no doubt. Do are you? The opinion that Legionnaires' disease may be a lot more common
0: than we actually know. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think it's just in the recent weeks, we've seen uh, uh, several outbreaks, if you will, of Legionella or Legionnaires uh, that have been identified. I, I think part of the problem has been that nobody was really looking to identify it unless it was just right in their face. And so, absolutely, I think. Uh, I think mold is a real problem. Legionella is a problem. Uh, you know, you've got all sorts of things that are in the air that are not good. Um, and by the way, it's not just about deactivating pathogens. There's all sorts of other issues with air quality, whether it be VOCs or particulate matter or, you know, reactive species. You have to solve the problem of indoor air quality from a multifaceted approach. Lots of different technologies. There's no one technology that in and of itself is going to solve the problem of indoor air quality. You you know, we have to think that we we happen to think we do a really good job as it relates to pathogens, but we're not doing anything with particulate matter. Um, you know, we're not doing anything with VOCs. So uh, you have to combine these technologies into an overall solution. And that's where I felt uh, um, that 241 missed the mark, is they could have incorporated UV as a near-field pathogen mitigation strategy. But hopefully maybe the next version, they'll, they'll reference it at least. You're
1: uh, Being in New Hampshire, uh, as I recall, I think New Hampshire is leading, leading America with the most number of heat pumps. <laughs> yes. uh, in your state. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are you up there? What's, what's the locals saying about heat pumps? And what are your thoughts about heat pump
0: tech? I, I think heat pumps are, are great if your energy energy supply is where it needs to be. But in the uh, New England region or even the greater Northeast, you know, we've done some things to ourselves to cut down on our supply and so forth. Therefore, the electric costs are, are out, of, out of control. In New Hampshire, we're twice what it is in Michigan, for instance, our, our energy costs. So I think heat pumps are great. You know, alternative energy sources are great. They all produce electricity, um, but we're going to have to have a way to um, to get that supply up in order to have these different strategies like heat pumps. I built a house a few years ago and I put heat pumps in exclusively. I thought they were wonderful. But um, again, when you go to pay the bill every month, it's a little different story. A whole, up here. Yeah, a bit of a different story. In, in yeah. your
1: opinion, are heat pumps better for the IAQ? Yeah.
0: Um, I think they present less opportunity for mitigation, um, but I I would say that generally speaking, at least, you know, from what I felt from building my own home around them, I, I would say, yes, they are good, but you have to have other strategies as well. You bet.
1: Regarding your personal residence, what do you have (laughs) in your home to protect? What type of filter do you have in it? And by the way, do you change your filter when it should be changed? You had some (laughs) (laughs) wildfires. That's
0: a great question. No, I have have more of a conventional system uh, at at the moment. So, um, I I mean, I went from a a wood stove, if you will, in my home to I now have a townhouse where I have a more conventional HVAC system, but uh, yes, I I'm good about changing my filter. <laughs> okay,
1: you know, regarding UV light, as uh, you as we both know, there's a lot of information on that, and a layperson, uh-huh. you know, they want to seek it out. But what's da- what's a dangerous application? I, I think there was something about in the, the nail salons, uh, UV light tech should not be used. Uh, well, I, so- I don't know. You know, educate. You know, the people
0: that are tuning in here, if they're not familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think where you have to start with questions like that is OK. So first of all, which wavelength are we talking about? Because the wavelengths are not created equal. So for instance, UVA, UVB are very dangerous to human exposure. You don't you don't want to be sitting just by like going in a tanning bed and being there for eight hours a day. You don't want to do that. Uh, and even UVC, traditional UVC at 254 nanometers, which is the low pressure and medium pressure mercury lamps. Um, you can only have very, very limited exposure to that. Uh, otherwise, you're going to run into issues. Uh, with uh, with your skin, erythema, in severe cases, uh, cancer. Uh, 222 is unique in that fashion. That 222, our wavelength is completely absorbed by the outer layer of the human skin, called the stratum corneum, sometimes referred to as a dead skin layer. And because of that, it doesn't penetrate any further into the skin like UVC 254 does. So it doesn't cause erythema. So our our lamps are are actually safe to be deployed in areas where people are working. And as far as I know. Um, our wavelength doesn't cure nail polish. So I don't think we're going to mess up that process. But Okay. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I
1: haven't looked into it, but uh, there, there's so much information about yeah. you know, UVs. A, it's a hot topic, and it's a big, very specialized topic. It is. A, lot of different, a lot of different things to talk about there. What do you think, uh, if somebody asked you, Mike, uh, what's your definition of clean air
0: indoors? What would you say? Well, I, I would say it would be uh, taking a comprehensive approach to looking at such things as particulate matter, VOCs, um, dust, pollen, uh, mold, and pathogens that are harmful to humans. which with my opinion at least, the most important is to make sure that the indoor air environments are free of pathogens, where you're spreading, um, you're you're spreading disease, and uh, but the others are are important as well. But that's why I said okay. earlier you need, you need to take a comprehensive approach to indoor air quality.
1: Do do uh, the residents of New Hampshire? Is
0: there a major concern about radon? Uh, I wouldn't say any more so than where I've lived elsewhere, but it is a concern um, and of course, obviously when you purchase a, a home, you're going to get radon testing done. Um, I don't know what the prevalence of, of radon is compared to other areas of the country. I really do not know. I can't answer that question, OK? okay. um, There are some experts, as I understand it, that believe that dry air,
1: low humidity, is more conducive to the transmission of disease. And obviously, we've got the winter flu season coming up. What are your thoughts about dry air? you think there's a a definite link between low humidity and,
0: uh, you know, better chances of disease spreading? Yeah, absolutely. Both down to physics. So if you're in a high humidity area... um, you in, in your coughing or sneezing or whatever it may be uh, those virons or viral particles are going to fall to the ground much much quicker than they will in an indoor environment that's dry and we've all seen um the the modeling that's been done on these with the you know with the simulations of people coughing in a room and there are simulations available to show the difference between high humidity and low humidity and without question uh low humidity environment uh, is going to have a different outcome than a high humidity environment simply because the virons are not going to be falling to the ground quite as quickly. Gee, you bet.
1: Um, as I recall, I think it was Kaiser Health News indicated uh, last year that over 2,000 schools across 44 states in the U.S. bought air purifiers. I'm sure you know you know what happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the air purifiers were portable in nature, as I understand. Mm-hmm there were induct air purifiers. Yep. To the best of my knowledge, there's not one air purifier manufacturer that uh, is accountable for after the fact. Right. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about what went on in the COVID-19
0: era in schools? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there were a couple problems. First of all, there was no uh, measurement protocol in place when these technologies were being implemented. So there was no before and after look at data such as uh, you know, sick days or whatever it may be, or even uh, air quality measurement uh, for pathogens such as, you know, viruses and bacteria. So that was one problem. You have to be able to measure to analyze, and we we were not measuring. And then the second problem uh, with the air purifiers, it goes back to what I keep saying over and over again. Sure, you can uh, once, twice, three times an hour take a swipe at whatever may be in the air, but if somebody's sick, they're not doing you any good. Frankly, they're not doing you any good whatsoever. If you've got a classroom with just one sick kid in it, I don't care how many air purifiers you put up, uh, that kid can transmit very, very easily. Our school district uh, infrastructure in general, I think many people would
1: agree it's crumbling. Yes. It needs to be rebuilt. Obviously, uh, each building is different. What do you think about the long-term potential of indoor air quality assessments for buildings, maybe starting with schools and government buildings?
0: I think it's necessary uh, up here in New England. Boston Public Schools has uh, initiated a program like that. In fact, they, in each classroom, have you know, put uh, air quality monitors. They may be CO2 uh, sensors, but I think they've gone beyond that even. And so I think that is the future. I think you have to begin. You have to be able to measure to improve, and uh, and measurement is a good first step in terms of assessing kind of where you are and where you're going. You, you bet. Do you think uh, there'll be a future
1: somewhere down the road where local outdoor air quality monitoring will work in
0: tandem with indoor air quality monitoring. Yeah, that's a good question. I've never thought of it that way. I never thought that uh, I, I somewhat take it for granted that you know we've got people in place that are measuring our outdoor air quality, whether it be the EPA or state environmental agencies or whatever it is. I, you, know, you kind of take for granted that your air quality is pretty good outdoors unless you're you know in a high smog area. Um, but uh, but generally, we don't even think about outdoor air anymore. It's it's really um, it's all about, you know, 90 percent of our time is spent indoors. We've got to start worrying about that. You, you bet. How many
1: how many weeks this past summer do wildfire smoke affect
0: you and the people in New Hampshire? From yeah, good question. I know it got New York City real bad for an extended period. I want to say as long as three weeks. Uh, we we felt it for a couple of days, but just the way that the, the jet stream operates up here in the Northeast, uh, we were fortunate that most of it stayed Connecticut and South. Okay. okay. Um, regarding
1: wastewater sewage, uh, do, you, do you envision day where monitoring the sewage uh, will be a way to help protect human health and alert the local public in advance about maybe a pathogen
0: danger? Yes, I I do. And I think that there are some really reliable data out there now and and reliable protocols on how to measure for it. And so we ourselves monitor that on a daily basis. We look for hotspots, if you will, uh, for COVID, and and we're able to identify and somewhat predict, if you will, uh, where the problems are going to be. And really the data that we're seeing right now for the Thanksgiving holiday through the first of the year is not good. There's going to be an increased prevalence of COVID, uh, significant based on the wastewater data that we're seeing. And I do no. think it's I, I do think it's accurate enough in terms of the protocols that um, you can use it as a barometer for uh, for knowing what's going to happen. Do you do you have a specific product you'd like to share that's going to be launched in 2024 at the moment? Uh, well, not as it relates to indoor air quality. Um, I, I can I can speak to a couple of products that relate to other uh, areas or other technologies that need to be disinfected, especially medical equipment, medical devices. Okay. So that's becoming increasingly important. In fact, now the FDA is going to uh, approve or, or not approve technologies such as ours for the, um, the disinfection of medical equipment. It used to be that it has to be something applied to a human body himself or herself, and... And now they're actually looking at, okay, you're making these claims that you're disinfecting equipment that happens to be in the same room. Uh, you're going to have to be regulated. And so I, our our orientation in terms of new product development is somewhat along those lines. Okay.
1: okay. Well, Mike, we're, we're running low on time. Uh, I, I very much would like to thank you for being on the indoor air pod today. Sure, would like to have you back at a later date so you could update everybody about, you know, what steroids up to. And. Uh, you know, where the future is headed. If, I think many of us are, are kind of concerned about what the future is when it comes to IQ. Where can people find you that are listening on
0: social media? So we're on LinkedIn. Sterile Ray is on LinkedIn. Sterile Ray is on Facebook. Sterile Ray is on Twitter, TikTok, and um, most importantly, uh, our website is sterileray.com. Do, do you, regarding
1: social media, I asked? ask, do you think it has a big much more of a big future marketing
0: IAQ related services and products? I do. I'll say especially on LinkedIn. uh, And the reason for that is that you have the influencers uh, over indoor air quality that all participate or most of them participate on LinkedIn in our network in the way that you and I are networked. And I think that that's a great avenue for sharing information and uh, keeping people up to date. You bet. Mike, thank you much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indoor AirPod, produced by Gaslight STL, your podcast partner. Be sure to give our show a follow to keep up with upcoming guests and topics. And please reach out with any questions or guest suggestions.